0: If you have been following along with us in the Renew Bible Study, yesterday's reading was out of Ephesians 4. And so what I'm going to do today, wait for it, here we go. Yeah! What we're going to do today is read Ephesians 4 together, and then I'm going to take a little bit of a different spin as far as application goes, and then we're going to be done. How awesome is that? Mm -hmm. Beautiful. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn with us. If you don't, I have it on the screen for you. But this is Ephesians 4. Uh, And we're going to talk about growing up. So politely, church, if I can humbly say this to you, grow up. Not my words, they're Paul's, out of Ephesians 4.15. And it's not a condescending term in this way. It's a term of hope, it's a term of desire, it's a term of maturing in Christ. So I'm not speaking down to you, my hope is to come underneath and push you up to envision you to say, this is who Jesus is, this is what Paul is admonishing us to and we have a role as a body together to do it. Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. Ephesians 4, here we go. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Praise the Lord. Eager to maintain the unity in the Spirit in the bond of peace. but that he has also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. from whom the whole body joined and held together from every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly it makes the the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul is telling us here to grow up, to mature in Christ and to speak the truth in love. Everyone has a part to grow up. It happens when each part is working properly. And so the reality and the function here is not only talking about the church and, and who we are as we're, as we're to walk in a manner worthy and what Christ has given us. We have a unity of what we believe, but then also a unity in how we function. And so the beauty of what he's communicating to us is don't, don't be content to just follow human cunning and craftiness of schemes, but be faithful to recognize who is the head in which we follow and to see him as the one that we desire and mature to or towards. And then every one of us has a part to play. We talk about this all the time, what it looks like to be joined and knit together as one body. But the reality and the call again here is that everyone has a part to grow up into what it means to work properly. This is verse 15 and 16. It's so important. I'm just going to read it one more time. It says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, When each part is working properly, that's you and that's me. So it's not just the role of what he described before, the evangelists and prophets and teachers. It's a body unit that as we function together as one and work properly, we are maturing and we're growing. So when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the reality of this text is not just an individualistic, let the leaders do it. But it's the beauty of the leaders are there to supply maturity, to grace upon, to instruction, for teaching, for building up, that the church as a whole, leaders and and body included, would all be faithful in the part that they play for the maturity of Christ and to see the head that is Jesus Christ elevated. So we're growing up together. And it's the beauty of what that looks like as we pursue it. Uh, My son Zion, who's seven years old now, believe it or not, it's wild to me, I leaned against the couch the other day. He just had a birthday in September. And leaned against the couch. And he says, Dad, I like how big I am right now. I don't want to grow up. I like my size. I said, really? Why is that, buddy? He said, "Not nah, because I can do so many things in the playground. <laughs> it's really good at the monkey bars and stuff right now. And then I tried to do the monkey bars and couldn't do it. So you felt pretty good about it. Uh, and that was funny to me in the moment. But I thought about it a little bit. And I thought, man, growing up is hard. Responsibility is difficult. The onslaught of what—not just not just bills and and gas and taxes and business and all the rest, but just the reality and the ramifications of you understanding the implications of what it looks like for you to be a right citizen a good church member, a good uh, employee, a good father, husband, wife, whatever it may be, there's a responsibility that is piled upon you, and I feel like almost more than ever, you have to be perfect in it in this day and age. And so my, my, my plea to you guys is, let's look at Jesus Christ as our example. Let's see who Jesus is and the things that he set forth, and let's imitate Christ. Rather than just striving for a perfection that culture says that we need to be Let's strive for the perfection that comes through Jesus Christ as we love him, as we know him, as we serve him, and as we imitate him every day in life. Culture tells us we have to be perfect at everything that we do, and if we don't do it, we won't succeed in life. The Bible tells us that it's impossible to be perfect, except through him who is perfection. And so we strive for perfection in the hope and in the sense that we already have the gifts and the ability to do so given to us by God. So be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's our pursuit of perfection. Because God is perfect, we have the the ability to strive for it. And one day we will attain it. Right? So I just want to share this with you. We're going to go over something a little bit different. I'm going to bring us to a different text to explain this. And then we'll close again in this text. So this is Ephesians 4. And we're talking specifically about growing up. What it looks like for the body to be one unit as we are pursuing Christ and each having our part to play in pursuing the maturity that Christ, that Christ is calling us to through Paul's letter here. So I'm going to take us to a story. I'm not going to read it for you, but we want to be like Jesus. And the text that I'm going to bring us to is um, out of uh, Luke, and it's the story of Zacchaeus. And so this is a wonderful story. Of course, we all know it. Zacchaeus is a wee little man, and a wee little man is he. right? He climbed up to the top of a sycamore tree. The reality in this story is that Jesus is coming into a town, I believe it's Jericho, and as he's coming in, Zacchaeus, who is short in stature, could not see him. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he is in essence famous and has crowds gathering to see who, who he is, what he's about to do, and all that that implies. So amidst this crowd are those that follow him and believe in him. Also amidst it are those that are looking to him because he's, he does wild things. So Zacchaeus sees something coming, He can't see, so he climbs into the tree to get a better vantage point to be able to see Christ come. And what happens in the story? Jesus comes into town, and immediately what happens? We all know? He gets called out. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree, for I'm coming to your house today. This is an amazing reality for us. Of course, you've heard this story repeatedly. And there's so many different directions we could go right now. And you could be here for months on the sermon topics that I could give to you. But I'm not going to do that. What I am going to do is pull out a couple principles that I see as so amazing. I've used these before in a lot of leadership things, so you might have heard them, but how do we grow? How does the body grow? And it's not just it's, it's seeing the word and applying it, yes. Recognizing who you are and applying that, yes. Hearing from the, the leaders of the church, like Paul mapped out for us in Ephesians 4, and putting those things into practice, yes. At the same time, above all that is imitating Jesus Christ. So, um, Three things that I'm going to pull out from the story for us to be like Jesus because he is our perfect example uh, is this. One, intentionality. How to imitate Jesus. Two, being incarnational. And the last point I have for us is being relational. Let me describe these things for you because the words don't give it justice. Mm -hmm. Right? Jesus comes into the town and he knows the context already of what's happening. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. So typically, tax collectors in these areas, especially in Jewish communities, are Jews working for the Roman government. So they don't, people don't like tax collectors. We all know why. Because not only are they working for the other government, the other people, the enemies, they're taking their own people's money. And so they take a little money for the government, take a lot of money from me. So Zacchaeus, the little guy, is making a lot of money. And people don't like him because he's, in essence, given the authority to do that by the government. So he is stealing from his own people. So people hate that. So Jesus is intentional in knowing not only who Zacchaeus is, the offenses that he's created against his own people, but the way that people look at him and know him. And so as soon as they get word that Jesus has picked Zacchaeus out of the crowd and is going to his house, he is slammed with, how could you go to this sinner's house? Who would want to associate with this guy? He's robbing not only us, but he's, he's diminishing the name of the Jewish people. All these kind of things would come against him culturally speaking. And they go into the house, and Jesus is showing us that he's the pursuer rather than the one waiting to be pursued. He's living proactively. He's calling Zacchaeus out of the tree and said, I'm coming to your house, so get ready. And he goes to the house, um, and of course they have a conversation that the scripture does not unfold. I wish, I wish so deeply it would be included in the text. Because what we see is transformative power what we see in the end of the story is something that amazing has has occurred in that Zacchaeus' heart is totally transformed. We'll get to that in a second. But it's the intentionality behind behind Jesus and him walking into a town. You know, I'm sure that Jesus was going somewhere for a particular reason. But he had time for Zacchaeus, who people disliked. He had time for the sinner, who people discarded. And this is on the very fringe of the city as he's coming into the town. His plans were, Maybe they weren't altered, but in my mind, they're altered. If you're traveling somewhere, I imagine you're wanting to get to a destination. For whatever reason, at the very beginning of entering the town, Zacchaeus is the one that's called out. The intentionality behind what Jesus does is is, um, something that has to be recognized and noticed. He lives his life intentionally. There's a purpose for calling out Zacchaeus, not only for Zacchaeus' life and transformation, but for us to recognize The way that we are to pursue people has to be on an agenda for the kingdom of God and on transformative mission, not just something that passes by. It's very easy for Jesus to keep walking and continue to do what he wanted to do. But he called out one particular person, the man that was pushed out in the community, the man that was discarded, and the man that was looked poorly upon, not only for stature, most likely, but then also for vocation. And so as we come to this, we recognize the intentionality behind Jesus. You know we're given a tool belt of tools by the Holy Spirit called the fruit of the Spirit. And I think oftentimes we overlook that these tools can be used every day in life to be intentional in how we operate. But I think a lot of times we wear a tool belt and we walk around looking for the hammer. You understand my analogy there? Uh, or you're wearing the tool belt, and you know what you always misplace when you're on a construction site is the tape measurer. If you don't stick it back on the belt, like where did I put that thing? Or uh, the pencil, if it's not behind your ear or in the right spot for measuring, I don't, I can't. Then I just start using sharp objects to draw a line, and then the cuts off. Right? It's miserable. But what I'm saying is this: you have the tools through the Holy Spirit. You need to take action to live intentionally and to be proactive. What does it look like for us, though, in our responsibility? to take the tools out of the tool belt and use them appropriately. I think oftentimes we ask the Lord for the tool when I think he's saying to us, reach down and use it rather than just keep asking me for what I've given. And I say that in humility because I'm the exact same way. Lord Jesus, give me self-control with my kids today. Oh my gosh, one more time. I cannot hand it. Please, Jesus, help me. I really don't want to say something I regret. I really don't want to make an action that would be against what I want to communicate to my children in love and compassion. When the Lord is saying, I've given you self-control. It's part of my spirit in you. What does it look like for you to exercise it? What does it look like for you to grow up? What does it look like for you to mature into the things of the kingdom of God rather than just be held back by your understanding of the things you seem to lack in your own understanding? So the Lord is saying, you have the tools through the Holy Spirit. Let's reach in the tool belt and use them because when every part is working properly, this is verse 15 of Ephesians 4 we just read, the body grows. Amen. But if we're not, gonna, if not willing to take the tools out, the body won't grow in the appropriate manner because every part is not working properly. I say this in humility again. I'm in the same spot. But how do I recognize, instead of just going towards inadequacy or weakness, Lord, I'm so bad at this, then make the next statement, but you've given it to me. So now I will be better. Now I will strive for greater things. Now I will see you as the one who has empowered me to be able to be faithful in this opportunity. There's a difference in the mentality there, right? First thing in Jesus that we see walking in the town automatically is an intentionality behind what he does, why he's there in the mission that he set forth for him. He pursues one person, and he goes to his house. The second one is being incarnational. We all know what this means in the sense of Christmas time. Right, He is the Christ incarnate. That means he's made man. He's come and he's dwelt amongst us. And so when I use it in this case, it's, it's how we as believers and image bearers and missional people go into communities or into family situations or into vocation or into a conversation between my son and my daughter who are bickering. How do I enter into that moment in the ability that Christ has given me? How, do I, how am I incarnate there, if you can go with it? Does that make sense? As Christ came into our situation, he sends us into situations in life to also bring his gospel, his lightness, and his glory. So Jesus is incarnational here because he was willing to go to places and pursue people that others weren't willing to do. He pursued the one that nobody else wanted anything to do with, and we see that in the text by people saying, why would you go to his house, the sinner? You can't, wait for opportun- you can't wait for opportunities to come to you. You have to go get them. Um, I went hunting yesterday. I try to go every deer season. Um, if, th- if that's offensive, I apologize. We do eat it. I don't just leave it there. It's part of the sustenance for my family. Um, and it's beautiful and very tasty. And if you want to taste the tenderloin wrapped in some bacon that I got yesterday, come on over. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, so, But I thought about it. It's incredibly boring but incredibly like the but it's awesome at the same time. So there's moments where you're just admiring creation, enjoying the sounds. There's moments where you're really frustrated at squirrels and birds because they make sounds that you get so excited about. It's like when you it's like when you're a kid and you look under the tree and you see all these presents and you're going through them and like where's my name? Where's my where's my name? You get so excited and then there's like this pause beforehand. Yeah, the squirrels jump around the trees. It's like there's a squirrel again. Thought it was going to be a big old buck. Nope. Then just packs of birds come in. And then you think, there's got to be something in there. If they're coming right there, nothing still. Anyway, hours and hours of sitting. And I thought, I, um, I don't know if this is really hunting. <laughs> this is kind of just like lounging. I kind of want to get out and like smell the ground and, and feel the tracks and look for some, some deer droppings. And then maybe like, figure out crawl on some hands and knees and get a little mud on my body make it feel like I did something you know what I mean eventually a deer came and I shot it and so now I'm a hunter you see what I'm saying because it worked it worked my friends there are others that are far better than I am and they can make noises and they can grunt and they can do the sounds of antlers and all stuff I can't do that so for me it's just waiting Um, why am I saying that nobody knows no I actually do know it's because for us to be incarnational and for us to do something is not waiting for opportunities to happen Just like the only means of me getting a deer in that deer stand is if a deer walks by me. It's the only way I'd be able to hunt. You understand? The only way for you to share the gospel is not just to wait in your home for someone to knock on your door. Okay? The the means for us to be hunters, if you will, to be on mission for the kingdom, to work properly as the body is not just to take the tools out and apply them, but then to also put ourselves into places where those tools can be applied. All right? So live incarnationally. You don't have to fit cultural norms to make this happen. You can live counter-culturally and see the kingdom of God in your life. So there it is. We're not pursuing the perfection of the world. We're pursuing the perfection that comes from Jesus. And that is is actually grace-filled. And that is hopeful rather than something that just continually presses you down and inhibits you. So come into the mess of sin with the good news of Jesus to transform, not to transform, not for culture to transform you. Jesus walked into Zacchaeus's house and didn't become one like a tax collector. But he brought the kingdom transformation to Zacchaeus, that when Jesus left, Zacchaeus looked more like Jesus. You see the difference there. They talked about something, and I believe it was the kingdom of God. I believe he probably unfolded with him scriptural truth that looked at law and how you're supposed to operate and talk and treat people and what money is usually used for, not for your own desires and pride and selfishness, but for the benefit of the kingdom of God and for giving to others on the fringe, for taking care of the needy, for loving those who don't have the ability to have things or or be loved. So what happens after this? Zacchaeus asks for forgiveness. He gives back belongings Those that he stole from and marred, he not only gave back, he gave back four times the amount. The law in the Old Testament, and I've said this before, is called restitution. It's giving back what was taken. In some comments of theft, it's called double restitution, where I not only give back what I took, but I give back what you lost as a result. Does that make sense? So if I stole from Tony his vehicle, I would not only give his vehicle back, I would give double back for the things that he lost in return. Something happened to Zacchaeus that was so amazing that he gave back his wealth in essence, not just double, but quadruple. His heart was so transformed by the words of Jesus Christ, he not only met the letter of the law, he went beyond it to say, I can't live this way because you've, you've opened my mind to something that is so amazing to me. I can't, I can't be where I was before. And that's the whole point of the intentionality saying, not, hey, shorty, get out of that tree because you steal people's money. Zacchaeus, the third point, is relational. Come down from the tree because I'm going to your house. Relational. Because I want to talk to you about something today. And then he brought inside the mess of Zacchaeus' home the kingdom of God and a gospel message that he would know good news and hope rather than just the stinginess of how much can I attain for myself, but how much can I actually do outside of myself to bless others. How can we mature, church family? How can we grow up? to imitate Jesus Christ and know life in Him. You see what we're going for here? So being intentional first and foremost. Going into situations, knowing the tools that we have and applying them. Second, being incarnational, being willing to go into places that are not comfortable. Being willing to bring the good news of Jesus Christ into our family, into our children that are bickering, into our work environments that are hard, whatever that may look like. Being counter-cultural, to what society says and living for the kingdom of God. So flipping it over and saying, I'm not going to live for myself here. I'm actually going to use the wealth that I provided for the benefit of, of the Lord and his kingdom. And the third thing is being relational. The kingdom of God is about people. It's about the glory of God being transformed and the right relationship being brought back into his people. It's about who God is as the king of kings and lord of lords, the mediator of Jesus Christ, And his people, again, being able to walk alongside him because of Jesus. You see that? So now we have peace with God again. The kingdom of God is about reconciliation to the Father. Know people's names. Use their names. I have a new neighbor that just moved in across the street from me maybe two months ago. His name is Ken. Huh? Pretty good. But um, Ken is is an amazing guy. He came out and started talking to me. And we had a great conversation. He came from Seattle, outside of Seattle area. His wife is um, on, is a resident at Big Barns, and she's actually pursuing ER stuff. And so it's an amazing opportunity for her to to do all that, especially in this COVID era. So she's going to different places. But Ken works from home still, and is still on you know, Western time. So he works from 11 to 7 every day. So he comes out occasionally, and we talk. What I was impressed by Ken was not only his willingness to have a conversation with a complete stranger as if he knew me all his life. He's a non-believer, right? That's good. This, is, this is awesome because he's going to meet Jesus. But then the second thing is he knows all of our names immediately. He, he um, knew my name, and every time he came out, he called me by my name. He knew my kids' names immediately, and there's some crazy names there. Um, and then he's, he's met my parents, and he remembers their names. He's met my mother-in-law. He remembers her name. So it's it's this amazing thing is how small of a thing. But to be relational is to know someone, right? And to show them that they matter, that they're seen, that they're heard. Jesus came into town, and the very first thing he did was use someone's name and then went into that person's place and environment. Probably that no no one else has ventured to go to, other than maybe an egg on the door. You see what I'm saying? They didn't like him. So he had a visitor once, and it turned out to be the uh, Messiah. The Savior of the world is the one that entered his home. Um, And, you know, metaphorically speaking, obviously his heart, something was transformative there. So the kingdom of God is about people. Know people's names and use their names. Go to people's homes. Maybe this day and age, that just means calling them. But something that is personal because it's countercultural nowadays. But it also shows that you see people, that you hear people that they matter, that their image bears alongside you. Even in differences, you can, you can talk about life together. So be relational. Ken knew my name, and it made me feel, even though I know all these things, it made me feel great. It made me feel included. It made me feel like he actually wanted to know my kids. It made me feel like he actually wanted to be my neighbor rather than someone that just kind of comments on my grass that doesn't look good or something like that here and there. You know what I mean? Grow up. In humility, this means pursue the maturity of Christ alongside one another because the body needs the body. If we're not doing it independently, we're not doing it corporately. So we can give you renew Bible studies, and they can be a fantastic boost to you in your walk with the Lord. But if we don't continually walk these things out individually, the corporate also is not fully functioning. I want to be fully functioning for the Lord. I want to see the king in his kingdom and do amazing things for the mission of God. And I believe that we can do that alongside one another. So be like Jesus. He is our perfect example. When you spend time with Jesus, you cannot leave unchanged. The transformative power of the word and of the Holy Spirit and of the gospel makes you different and it makes you better, just like it did to Zacchaeus. When you imitate Jesus in love, the entire body will be strengthened. So yes, do it for yourself because it's important but also recognize that you're a part one with another. And as we function together and as we grow together, we all together are seeing something more and beautiful and larger of who God is in his kingdom. It's not just about us. It's about the Lord and what he's doing. Praise Jesus. Our God is so kind in that he came into our situations. He called you and I by our names. He came into our homes, our hearts, and he took out all the dross and the nastiness and said, you are the one that I want. I'm coming to your house today. And, and, you, and I will not leave until it's transformed. And he has done that in us. And we have an amazing hope in the gospel. And that's why we can say grow up to one another because we're pursuing the Lord and being better in him. We're doing it alongside one another. But as we come to the table today, let's just take a moment. If you all have your little cups, if not, there's some outside on the table right there. And we can give it a, a second. But I just want you to to search your heart now before the Lord and say, are you coming before the Lord in a worthy manner? Meaning, are there things in your heart and in your mind that you need to think about, that you need to confess for, that you need to bring before him? Because we cannot do this meal soberly. It costs Jesus his life. And so certainly it can take a minute of our time. Right? This is the admonition of Paul from 1 Corinthians is to examine your hearts before you come to the table. So that's exactly what we're going to do. So if there are things that you need to confess to the Lord, to think about, to grow in, let's bring those before the Father now. And then we'll participate in this covenant meal together. Father God, corporately we confess. We confess where it's so easy just to provide for ourselves or to pursue things that just make us feel good or make us happy in the moment. When, Lord, your kingdom is about eternity. Your kingdom is about other people. It's not just about the wealth that we accrue for ourselves like Zacchaeus, but it's about how, Lord Jesus, your message can be used in any facet of our life. And so, Lord, we repent of areas of pride and of selfishness in our hearts where we just look to ourselves and not the interest of others. And where we store things up for ourselves rather than, Lord, serving the purposes of the kingdom. We want to honor you in all we do. So as we come to this meal, we're humbled and we're thankful for your sacrifice. And we say, thank you for including us, Lord. We love you and we need you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Please take and eat the bread or this little wafer remembering Jesus. It's a sign and a seal of his grace upon us and what he's done in forgiveness and in in longing and union, union with him. So please take and eat. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the remission of sins. You are forgiven in Jesus Christ. Know life and life more abundantly in him. And then let's use our tools from our tool belt to do great things for his purposes. Please take and drink knowing your forgiveness in the Lord. Jesus, we honor you, we celebrate you, and we say thank you for not leaving us in a place of disparity and depravity, but for pulling us from that and giving us a purpose here. Lord, together alongside one another, we want to grow up in you. We want to be more like you. We want to exemplify you and be transformed by you daily. You are our example, and we want to follow you, Jesus. So we say thank you for your table. Thank you for forgiveness, and thank you for hope in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We praise you in your name. Amen. Amen.